What's going on here? We got uh, so, uh, so you know, flying cars, man. Flying cars. It's the future. Flying cars. Get ready. It's not the future. Get ready. It's not, the <laughs> not not as not as we know them. I mean, not as the, the rotable uh, airplane. Yeah. Uh, which is you know combines all the worst characteristics of both cars and airplanes. Um, no. No. You know, we, we might have in, we might have individual. Flying machines of some kind. Yeah, a personal uh, flying machine. Yeah. Cons- that, that could be considered um, uh, personal transportation. Right. But um, see, this this is just like the, the... It's the total antithesis of what I want a flying car to be, all right? So we're looking at this story from, what, Bloomberg.com, um, where, where Uber is crowing about how they're going to have flying cars within 10 years. And we can talk about the 10 years part here, but somebody's going to have these it's like you said it's not really a flying car um all it, it, chaos is is breaking loose here in, in the box. I, I heard noise yeah yeah, I, yeah. Noise. I think you know if the roof blows off while we're doing this i'll, I'll let you know what happened i'll give you a, uh, i'll give you an uh, yeah, you know the humanity of it the humanity um yeah, uber i i think i think a larger maybe a better story would be whether or not uber will exist in 10 years there there's that question as well you know but so what they're right. touting is these uh quadcopter or octocopter or whatever these multi-bladed uh, uh um you know uh, copters that are be uh, will be self-driving as or self-flying as well and uh um i i'm i'm on the record i like these these multi-copter uh, uh you know personal aircraft um and and i would be willing to learn how to fly one of these i i, I just like the idea a lot but i don't like the idea of it flying itself you know at least not completely i mean give me an autopilot but uh, you know and i want auto stabilization but other than that i want to fly it george george jetson's Boy Elroy will be in retirement before we see this. You think so? <laughs> I don't know, man. We're going through a watershed moment here. You're, I'm seeing all kinds of news stories about these these human carrying. Yeah, I mean, you know, the volocopter on, on flew one, at, at, uh, at. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in a caged environment for ten seconds. I saw the video. Yeah, but no, there was another one too. Uh, it was. It was. It, well, there's I mean, a Chinese the company. At, Is at, it? Have you seen the Chinese yeah, company? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and, and you know, um, yeah, scaling up the the uh, quadcopter drone that we could buy for two hundred fifty bucks is not that difficult. Um, getting you know, some of the challenges are in, in power and and uh, uh, batteries and, and things like that. The the control mechanisms, the control software is is pretty well demonstrated. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and then you know you have to convince people to sit in the darn thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, ten, or, but, ten or fifteen years, we might see some vehicles like that, but I don't know. Well, let, let's look at let's look at the status quo with just the the drone revolution, the drone explosion. We've yet really to figure out how to integrate them into the airspace with the rest of us. Uh-huh. We've, in the last week, we've had word about what the authorities are saying is the first documented aircraft, human-carrying aircraft accident involving interaction with no, the, the it's drone. No, it's not the first accident. It's the first crash. Okay. There was a, there was a mid-air uh, south of New York City Late last year, involving a drone and a uh, U.S. Army Black Hawk helicopter. Right. So is that, is we, that... we 
we've been looking at this explosion for what five years now uh, roughly yeah yeah and nothing settled yeah yeah there's the FAA has a, a, a license requirement for commercial users they got a registration requirement we haven't figured out how to integrate them into the airspace we haven't figured out yet how to make them see and avoid we haven't figured out yet how to make the operators see and avoid and we're going to put people in these things and have them flying autonomously around our cities right well, uh, that's a regulatory nightmare that i don't think is going to happen in 10 years yeah i think that that highlights what i was unable to say which is that perhaps the technology will exist but i don't think the policy and the uh, commitment to incorporating these devices into the national airspace system will exist i agree with uh, you completely the technology yeah, is the yeah, easy part yeah. Exactly, exactly. That could be the title uh, right there. The technology is the easy part. Um, and, and, and as far as whether Uber's around in 10 years, well, you know, you, know you, you, you can make that call based on your stock purchases. Yeah. Or, or, not. or not. Or not. Or not, yeah. So, anyways, all right. See, this is interesting. Would Jack fly it? Maybe that's the new, that's the second The second decade of UCAP well, is would Jack fly it, right? And, I think we have to start off with would, would you sit in it? Because it's going to be a highly automated uh, oh. machine. Uh, uh, a minimum qualification probably would not, if if this technology has continued to its logical extension, um, a minimum certification might not even involve a private pilot's license. Oh, yeah. If, if it's sufficiently automated yeah no i have grave and concerns about sitting in, a, in an, an audit, autonomous one all right no no i'm i'm i got real reservations about that i don't even want to sit in an autonomous car let alone an autonomous aircraft yeah. um yeah but uh in, in in the meantime we can watch reruns of blade runner and the fifth element and see what a world it would be with three-dimensional taxis and uh all the stuff from sci-fi movies from 40 years yes. ago yes. that haven't hasn't happened yet it sounds cool david is, yeah yeah sounds that's all hey let's let's just fire up netflix and screw the podcast <laughs> there you go i finally um, figured out how to access it yeah. <laughs> well that brings me my next point here um but uh, in order to move on to my next point i'm going to say welcome folks to uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you today from the, the Lucky Star Tiki Bar in uh, Menlo Park, California, right on the, uh, actually sort of near the heart of Silicon Valley in uh, California, where I've been visiting uh, our, our good friend uh, Will Hawkins for, and his wife Kat for a couple of weeks here, and, uh, and, and doing a couple of work gigs, and, and just kind of doing the Silicon Valley thing. And, and that's what made me think of this, is um, you, you drive around the Silicon Valley area, and more than once, I've seen what I am 99% sure was a self-driving car. They're being tested all over the places here, all right? And you see a car that's got sensors like crazy, you know, uh, attached to the roof and hanging off the sides. And, and uh, sometimes they're even labeled as, as you, know, you know, so-and-so's test self-driving car. Um, so it's, it's, you know, real. Back up. Who, who is so-and-so? Fill in the variable. Are we I, talking I, about I was gonna un- say, Uncle Bob? Or are we talking about 
Google. I, I was going to say Google, but then I realized that I wasn't a hundred percent sure that the ones I'd seen were from Google. Um, I just so this moved. is not this is not like Uncle Jeb's backyard Avgas thing. It's 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 uh, more well defined and funded uh, it, effort. It, yeah, but it's yes, but it's not just Google anymore, as I understand it. Um, there are sure, multiple. Sure serious firms that are trying to create self-driving cars, trying to perfect uh, that have technology. Have you considered the alternative? Well, wait a second. I'm sorry. I, go ahead. Finish your introduction. Yeah, I, can, I consider um, um, Uncle Jeb's backyard Avgas to be a, a, a reasonable, uh, you know, a, ra- a rational com- company. So, yeah, but will know, there be a robot? With... Will there be a robot operating the nozzle? That's what I want to know. Possibly. Depends <laughs> on how much you're willing to pay. I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to my two good friends, and uh, <laughs> it's a weird list this week, folks, so just buckle up. Um, it's uh, one of those voices out there is from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy. <laughs> You're spiffy, huh? Yeah. I'm spiffy. Yeah. It's, uh, what's going on here? You just got, well, not just, you, you were off since the last podcast. You I, were I, world traveler. Yeah, I... I don't want to talk about it. That <laughs> I wouldn't much. think you uh, would. It's, um, it still has some very tender but the, memories of, of But of the that silver evolution. lining of that adventure was that you got to visit the Lucky Star Tiki Bar. Um, that this is also true, and I I echo. Um, uh, well, I, won't, I don't know what you said earlier, to be honest with you, but um, <laughs> I would certainly go on record now and, and later. Uh, to thank Will and Kat for their hospitality. Yes. Um, very, very much appreciated. I'm, I'm and, sure they uh, will hear this. If uh, not, I will pass it along. Long, long remembered. Yeah. Yep. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, that's Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Oh, pretty much same old, same old. Uh, do a little writing, do a little work on the airplane, do a little writing, do a little motorcycling, do a little writing. Uh, we we had a heat wave here last week where it got into the 70s two days in a row. And wow. That was uh, all the encouragement we needed uh, to uh, open up the shop, catch up on some uh, work on the airplane, unwrap the bike, uh, drive around in the little sporty car with the sunroof open. And then that night, the second night, it dropped to 24 and didn't get above freezing the next day. Mm, so, yeah. Loving it. Just loving it. It's the driest winter we've had ever. And you should really entertain an alternative theory about what you think are self-driving cars around there. Oh, yeah, what's that? That somebody has cracked the code on making the invisible man. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. See? Yeah. I, and, it's I, all, and it's all just a plot to convince people that these are self-driving cars when really they have invisible drivers. They're all They're all wrapping themselves in one of those... Harry Potter invisibility uh, shawls that if I just give yeah, away too much information are, that I've read the Harry try Potter to, books. <laughs> if you try to get in the front driver's seat, uh, you'll find that it's it's really really very lumpy. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's going on in the world these days? I don't know. I, I think. Oh, I mean, first of all, let's just don't, do the don't check. Even go, don't even go there. Yeah, check the boxes here. <laughs> I introduce myself. I introduce both of you. Uh, I said where we are. I think. Okay, I think we're ready to move on here. Um, yeah, I just you want to point out for the record that it's um, eight eighteen in the morning where Jack is, and he's already at the bar. Yep. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Um, I, I, yeah, really. I, just. Just noting this for the record. Okay. Well, the question for me is, 
is he really getting an early start, or is this just a carryover from the night before? Yep. This is, and, and the little squeaking in the background. A little squeaking in the background. <laughs> squeaking in the background. I, I don't know yeah. whether we said this before we started recording, but the little squeaking in the background is the windsock. The Lucky Star Tiki Bar is very, very cool. Um, it's they're just their personal, you know, kind of social space here in their home. It's in the backyard. It's attached to the back of their home. And uh, um, it has a um, World War II South Pacific, you know, sort of enlisted man and officers bar theme to it so there's all kinds of aviation memorabilia and military memorabilia and and there is in fact a working windsock doesn't work quite probably could use a little lubrication but other than that it's a working windsock um on the roof uh right outside where i'm sitting here um it's it's open to the backyard but covered by a by a a tin roof yeah david when is when is a windsock not working um I suppose it could be so uh, in need of lubrication that it won't spin. I don't know. I just wonder. You said it was a working windsock, and I'm trying to picture windsock on its day off. Well, it's... It, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excuse me. Okay. Um, uh, I would say more wrinkled than normal. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. All right. Administrator, administrator, former administrator Huerta got a new job. Is this... What what's the is this remarkable? I mean, not that he got a job. I have no doubt that he was going to get a job. Um, the people he's working for. Who? What is the Macquarie Group? That's a great question. Um, I would have thought you guys would know all these things. Come on, eleven no, I, years. I've come I've to rely heard, on you. I haven't heard of that group before that I recall, um, but I'm sure the Google will tell me something about it. Well, the story I'm looking at, which is you can Google, I'm going to read from generalaviationnews.com. Um, the final, one of the final graphs says Macquarie's North American Infrastructure Group has advised on more than $21 billion in transactions in the transportation sector over the past seven years. Highlights include um, a number of projects they list here. And... Uh, so it's apparently a transportation consulting firm, I guess. Maybe that's that's my oversimplification. Uh, website hey, hey. says website says one hundred million people use Macquarie managed infrastructure assets assets every day. Yeah. So another another link on that page is headlined Macquarie at a glance. Macquarie is a diversified financial group providing clients with asset management and finance banking, advisory, and risk and capital solutions across debt, equity, and commodities. Well, that explains so I don't know right what... Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, okay. exactly. All right. Well, anyways, good for, good for the administrator. And, uh, yeah, you know, he, 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 uh, uh, he didn't do a bad job. He, he didn't screw yeah. anything up. He, uh-huh. he did fix a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, no, it, was a know, good, it was a good I term, don't, I think. I don't, yeah, uh, there, there was some other stuff that, you know, yeah, okay, maybe it was time to do that, maybe it wasn't, but uh, um, uh, could have done a lot worse uh, uh, than Mike Huerta and certainly have over the years. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He, he deserves every uh, uh, every chance to build on his success at the FIA. Mm-hmm. Well, and it did seem like a good fit between his background and what Macquarie does. Uh you know, he was uh, executive director of the Port of San Francisco before he was FAA administrator. He was a commissioner of New York City's Department of Ports, right. International Trade and Commerce before that. Uh, he's got a lot of transportation uh, background uh, before he went to the FAA. So, uh, uh, and as Jeb correctly points out, 
he he did more good than bad in his five years, at mm-hmm. least from my perspective. Yeah. Yep. David, you've referred us to a video, I think it was you, David, um, a video of a aircraft landing on a carrier, which I'm watching right now, and uh, um, good job, you got it. Why, why, what's notable about this, David? That'll look at it again. Right yeah, I know it was a little while ago. You put it on the list. Um, actually, now I'm saying there's more than one. Oh, I see what's going on here. I thought there was just one. Uh, and it's possible you're just referring to the general skill level involved in landing on a carrier, which I totally acknowledge. It's uh, um, we're just, that's, that's that's what got my attention here is the uh, yeah the unusual perspective for part of this video where you're getting to look at it from outside the uh, cockpit. Watching that postage stamp come up and and uh, kiss your main landing gear, mm-hmm. which in this case uh, the, the the tail hook caught and they stopped before the uh, end of the angle deck didn't have to do a go around, uh, and this is what these guys do every day. And, uh, a uh, scarier bit of airmanship I don't think exists. Yeah. I love and I love the F four Phantom touching down. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of different aircraft. Yeah, quite a variety of, of aircraft. Lots of different that's... aircraft. We got some caught aircraft, and we had a, a, an intruder, and and now they're landing in the rain on the deck. That's kind of exciting. Um, yeah, it's I've I've heard this from a number of different people who know, who are in the know that this is, you know, and these are serious naval aviators. I mean, these are these are you know serious, highly trained, very experienced had to you know go through a lot of stuff to get to this point and even they acknowledge that this is the scariest thing they've ever done in their lives especially at night um and uh night and bad weather and a pitching deck as uh, the uh the uh, video it's about over 14 minutes long so give yourself some time it's got some great sound to it too but about uh a minute and a half in it transitions to uh watching night operations mm-hmm and later on, it's just some bad weather operations, and it's like, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm I don't think I'm genetically equipped quite yeah. for that work. Yeah. yeah suppose, supposedly, back during the Vietnam War, um, the Navy instrumented some pilots to to monitor their their uh, vital signs, for lack of a better word. And they found that, you know, pulse rates and respiration rates were obviously very elevated uh, when there was like a, an anti-aircraft missile in the air near them. But the highest uh, uh, stress levels, the highest exertion levels were on landing at night on a carrier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I remember reading someplace that um, in addition to the, the the risks involved with being the pilot on one of these things, being a crew member on the deck, apparently this is a phenomenally dangerous environment. Yes. Um, yes. And, oh, extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, it, what got me thinking about that is one of the shots that just passed by me on this video that I'm watching with the sound muted um, showed a uh, crewman standing on the deck as a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what it was, some sort of uh, a carrier, air, you know, COD-type aircraft just landed right over his head and touched down, you know, not 20, well, 30 or 40 feet in behind him. It's just like, wow, this is a... Part of me would love to go and visit well, you think about it, I'd, I'd love to take a ride in, in and out and was close to it once, but uh-huh. you think about everything that's going on on a carrier deck. You've got elevators moving aircraft from the hangar deck up to the flight deck. You've got uh, catapults throwing airplanes off the uh, bow end. 
uh, you know, at about 160 miles an hour when they reach the end of the uh, of the deck. Uh, at the other end of the of the uh, ship, you got aircraft arriving, and you got all these cables strung across the, the deck. Uh, usually four of them, I think it is, and the goal is to hit the second one. Yeah. And if you miss all four of them, you only have about two and a half seconds before you're airborne again. Right. It, just as you hit, they firewall the throttles because it takes those turbojet engines a little time to spool up. Right. Not like the engine in your car or your piston airplane. So that if they've missed that last wire, they're already at full power so they can do what they call a bolt. They they, they take off again. Right. If they're not already at full power when they hit, they're not getting airborne when they go off the end of that right, deck. Right, right, right. And then this giant ship doing almost 40 knots is going to run right over them. Yeah. 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 It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a I, thing. Uh, just watching the Oh, video. once in a while, the arrestor cables break. Uh, once in a while, the, uh, the hook will break. And if you're anywhere near that cable it can take off a leg mm-hmm. oh yeah oh I've, I've yes for sure that cable is yeah there's a lot of dangers there um i i'm it's putting me in a mind of some video that i've seen in the past of um aircraft carrier operations in the final days literally days of the vietnam war when the evacuation was going on and uh all sorts of of strange aircraft they were there were images of cubs and champs and things flying out right. with refugees to land on the carriers to try and try and escape um didn't uh, and of course the famous famous uh, uh sort of unusual aircraft operating off aircraft carrier with the b-25s of doolittle raid didn't uh, one of the services test landing c-130s on uh, on aircraft yeah. carriers it, did that yeah. ever, I um yeah jeb go ahead I'm just going to Google C-130 an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember that they at least tested it. I don't yeah, know if because, it ever I, became I an I remember thing. some video like that, and here, and here it is. Um, apparently it was conducted on the USS Forrestal. Uh, let me hang on a second. I'll get you a link. There you go. You should have a link. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago, too. 1963. Sorry, folks. We'll start talking again real soon. We're, watch- we're watching videos right now. Yeah, here's a C-130 approaching <clears throat> uh, slowly. <laughs> yeah, what, I, slowly. what I'm seeing is the uh, what are they, the Phantoms, the F-5s, I guess. Or yeah, yeah, keep going about halfway. Oh, there it is. Hang on. Holy oh, he's doing a t- C-130 doing a touch and go on an aircraft carrier. Okay, here we go. So. Get a shot from then, the deck, and then and then and then an approach and touchdown, and so you guys see one thirty making a very low approach. Man, he's, <clears throat> I mean, I think the camera guy is also at deck level, and uh, oh, I see that's the actual touchdown. Oh, I see where we what we're looking at. Okay, there's a touch and go, yeah. and uh, he just continues going. All right, that's good. So at least we can make it to the deck. Now yeah, see, there's a. Video of a takeoff, but it never really concludes. Uh, I'd like to see more of the takeoff, but I don't see where the the takeoff involved a catapult. A, B, I don't see where the landing involved a tail hook. But it might not have, although I, it was a very short rollout. So, 
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've read in the past that one of the big hurdles for anybody who's building an airplane that they want to sell to the Navy is whether or not it is structurally capable of handling the tailhook stresses. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, it's not just, you know, add a tailhook to your 152 and you can land on a on a uh, carrier. Um, that uh-huh. tailhook does, does some crazy stuff to the structure of the aircraft. And uh, um, not well, any... The, the, so I wouldn't the, presume the, that a 130 could have a tailhook necessarily is my point, I guess. Yeah, David? Yeah, well, the, in general, carrier-based aircraft... Are, uh, are, are beefed up in places that they would n- never, n- never think of or never want to on uh, land-based aircraft. The landing gear itself and all the structure that it's attached to has got to be uh, uh, of a strength to take what is, under normal circumstances, slamming into the deck and being hauled to a stop. In the tail hook structure, it has to transfer that load throughout the airframe without anything breaking. Uh, carrier-based aircraft tend to be somewhat heavier than their land-based counterpart strictly because of that difference. One of them has to land on a postage stamp, the other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was no catapult on that uh, one C-130 takeoff. Yeah, I didn't see but, one. Either. But he, he did start farther back on the flight deck than most of them. Oh, yeah, his, his tail was hanging out over the, the screws. Um, yeah. Before they before they got to go for takeoff, but uh, um, I, I also just real quickly I don't see. And I guess they did have some flaps deployed, but it, they didn't have a whole lot of flap deployed. This is on the one thirty uh, on the C one C one thirty takeoff. Yeah. Well, and if you if you watch farther into that uh, video that got us started on this, uh, at about the eight or nine minute point, they start showing drop tests of carrier aircraft landing gear in labs uh, because that's what this whole video is about. It's about what how they train, how they prep the aircraft. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a short feature. Uh, but just a drop test, it's like uh, we do drop tests on GA aircraft. We do drop tests on airline aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them have to go through the... Uh, ex- the impact absorbing energy level of a carrier based landing gear uh, carrier based aircraft landing gear uh, is just the hardest the hardest working aircraft in aviation the, the closest <clears throat> the closest we normally get in typical general aviation operations to a carrier landing is me <laughs> What does that mean? Hidden River? Is that what you're I mean, talking about? No, no, no. Just thinking of, of hitting the ground hard. Oh, it's not in, been, in my land. It's not been my experience that you ever hit the ground hard, but uh, uh, okay, well. I, you, 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 well, okay. Um, no, your landings are perfectly fine, if you ask me. Uh, unless you want it to be hard, if you need to get down for some reason, that's a different kind of situation. Anyways, um, cool stuff. Once in a while, you need that option. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. Um, off-field landing of the week here. Uh, we've got uh, uh, 18-year-old student pilot Trent Pierce uh, was flying with his instructor uh, during uh, someplace near uh, Omaha, Nebraska area, uh, and uh, they apparently experienced an engine failure. And uh, um, 
you know, and and it, this is kind of a non-story, which is good. They, they, they kind of the point of off-field that's landing. The, that's the, the idea. Yeah, yeah, kind of the point of off-field landing of the week is to point out that it's an, although it's a serious situation, um, it can often be a very routine thing, and so what uh, uh, student pilot Pierce and his instructor. Um, did was they had they were, and they were ironically they were practicing emergency maneuvers at the time, and uh, and let's see now Pierce says I was kind of controlling everything and it kind of shook a bit like the engine was going out, uh, we were dropping and there was no power, um, and so the instructor took over controls and uh, they glided in and landed in a I think it was a soybean field, and uh, relatively uneventful other than the fact that they got a broken airplane, um, but uh, yeah. you know all is well nice job. It's uh, yeah. pretty little kind of, Cherokee. Yeah, it is. Kind, kind of sounds like carburetor ice, but what do I know? Yeah, yeah sure. Did this happen just recently, or is this, uh, let's see now, the story is January, so I don't know when the event uh-huh. happened. Um, it's not clear. Probably was recent, though. It's not, it's not at all clear. Yeah. So Apparently there was a, uh, down here in uh, south of Silicon Valley in an area called uh, Morgan Hill, um, where there's a little airport called... Uh, San Martin, as I recall. Um, and uh, it was a sort of a headline that went past our eyes on Twitter or something like that about an aircraft landing on the highway. There's a The main highway down there is called Highway 101. It's the big north-south route here near the, um, you know, sort of inland from the coast in California. Right. And uh, San Martin is right literally along the edge of 101. And apparently a small plane landed on there. I, I don't know the story. Now, having said that, I, I should have done some research, but... Uh, these things happen, and they yeah, usually. Yeah, I saw something yeah, over the oh, weekend. You did, yeah. Like and they yeah. usually turn out okay. You know, keep your head about you and uh, uh, remember your training. That's what we used to. We always like to say in the disclaimer. And uh, mm-hmm. um, and as one of my old instructors said, you know, fly the airplane all the way till it stops, uh, and don't hit anything, and you'll probably be okay. Hmm. Um, well, that's kind of true. I mean, don't even clip a it's tree. True. You yeah. know, don't even clip yeah. a tree. You know, try and try and just get a some sort of kind of rollout. You know, and. Uh, and chances are you'll be fine. Um, so, anyways, congratulations. Uh, way to go, Trent. And yeah, yeah, Trent Sorry. and his and his instructor, whose name I don't see in this story, but uh, um, good job, good job, and 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 good for Trent not letting this uh, discourage his ambitions to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. So what's the story with this story? Is this a, a yet another Avgas replacement? I thought we were, I don't know where I thought we were, to be honest with you. But well, you know, that's an interesting question. And, you know, we ought to get some journalists or somebody to do some. To, to <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, looking uh, at a story, let's see now. It's uh, writers. Yeah. Oh. E. Rao. What's, yeah. This is- uh, 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 Embry-Riddle. Embry-Riddle, of course. Yeah, Embry-Riddle's uh, website uh, has stories headlined, Coming Soon, Aviation Revolution in Aviation Fuel for General Aviation Aircraft. Two flight engineers at Embry-Riddle uh, in Daytona Beach, Florida, are working to remove lead from aviation gasoline thanks to a 900000 almost a million-dollar award from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. Um, and then it goes on to talk about why this is a good th- good idea, and uh, I'm, I'm not finding the, the relevant details here of exactly how they're going to do this. I mean, okay, I, this is a good thing. We should be exploring alternative fuels. But as we've discovered over the recent years, it's not as simple as finding a good fuel and taking a truck and selling it at the ga- at the airport. airport. Um, not even not even remotely. Yeah, yeah, it's just become. It's, it's, it's been. It, 
yeah, it, it's been your basic long time since uh, the industry and, and FAA got together and started making a formal push for um, certainly alternative, <clears throat> certainly alternative um, uh, piston engine gasoline fuels, but perhaps most importantly, an unleaded aviation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, there's I'm, been no efforts, and, and there's been, uh, um, again, you know, some groups formed and, and uh, research done and all this. There's used to be three or four competing fuel formulations. Um, the deadline for all of this was to be uh, have a consensus derived and ready to move forward on implementing an alternative fuel was 2018. And last time I checked, we were in 2018. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, so it, this is getting to be a kind of a, a question mark. Um, I don't know what, I'm not even sure what some of the questions should be, but I certainly don't know what all the answers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. David, any thoughts on this whole thing? Do we need yet another? Is it a good idea for us to have yet another possible Avgas replacement? Or, well, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know that we have a. If, I don't, if, I don't if, know that it's a matter of another potential replacement. I think uh, there's going to be one replacement, right? Or at least one standard. Uh, that's, that, yeah, that, that's the FAA goal. That. that um, uh, we look at, but there's all kinds of transition issues. There's also all kinds of just origination issues with the fuel, and is this the best we can do kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm not real sanguine about how this is going to work out, at least in the near term. Right, because we've we've had... Well, and, and it's... Go ahead, David. I'll just say, it's not clear to me in, from this story that they're testing any new formulations as much as it appears to me that what they're doing is moving beyond what the FAA had started with the uh, the uh, 2016 test that they started. Okay. Uh, with the shell oil formulation and the swift fuel formulation, right. that they're actually pushing this out into more an operational level where they're putting it in a, a larger variety of aircraft with a larger variety of engines. Because oh, okay. as, as, as these guys pointed out, as Jack and Jeb both noted, this is a complicated thing. You've got... The goal is a single drop-in replacement that will work on everything. What complicates that is some airplanes have metal, dry, you know, metal tanks. Some have tanks in their wings. Some have rubber bladder tanks. Uh, different kind of, uh, of fuel lines. Different kind of fuel filters. Uh, some of which don't react well to uh, different formulations of gas and getting the octane right and getting it so that it will burn in these engines is only half the burn safely and producing the right power is only half the problem. The other half is the compatibility with the huge variety of airframe configurations and fuel delivery systems. And I think that's, at least I feel like that's what they are, are working on here because they say they're using multiple aircraft and evaluating different performance categories during flight, cold and hot fuel performance, anti-detonation performance, fuel system compatibility, ding, 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 engine power and performance, and engine startability. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
if they, if they can get that done by this year, the end of this year, and we could start transitioning before the end of the decade, that would be amazing and welcome progress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of, not to take a contrarian view, but I'm not convinced that there's really any news in this story. This seems more like it's just Embry Riddle PR, and it's of course hosted on their website. Mm-hmm. But um, none of this is something I've not heard before. Yeah, yeah. And, and, this, and, and, it, you know, I mentioned at the top of this segment. You know, we were talking about for years. We've been talking about 2018 as being the the target date by which you know some decisions will be made. Uh, and, and, and this seems to be an update and, and uh, collects in one place, um, um, you know, kind of a summary of what's going on right now. But I'm not convinced there's any news here. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. The headline suggested yeah. that it was a new program. But I think, you know, both of you have sort of alluded the, to the idea Embry, that this Embry is. Little has a new grant, maybe. Yeah. That's, but, yeah, that's what's new, guys. Yeah. That's what's new. And they're doing follow-on research. 933,000. Yeah. Okay. They got a $933,000 research grant, and that's what professors at universities are supposed to be doing, doing research, writing papers, whether it's American literature or aviation fuel. And then publicizing the fact that they're doing it. And then publicizing the fact that they're doing it. Okay. All Um, right. Well, I think it's a good thing then. I'm I'm Yeah, it's it's a good thing. It's, it's, It's... the process is continuing, and here's an update of it. Um, I'd really kind of like to see, um, and I'm not being critical of Embry Riddle when I say this, but I'd really kind of like to see um, some some additional progress, maybe. Yeah. Some better better progress, or at least a a more detailed update from um, some of the players in mm-hmm. this industry on this on this topic. Yeah, but well, I wonder if that's just a, me. I wonder if there's a big air show coming up where they might be presenting her. We could ask. That's amazing. You know, someone should do that. I know. Okay, let's 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 look into that. Let's look into that. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as ten or fifteen dollars is a big, big help. Or, you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a couple items here. Uh, I came across an interesting, you know, I guess it was a, oh, I know what it was. It was one of the, one of the hokey surveys that they do in the, uh, I think it's AOPA smart brief um, newsletter uh, where they ask you some silly question about flying and you answer it. And it's, you know, it's, it's really bad statistics, but it's somewhat interesting from time to time. And this one was interesting because I think the question was how many different states have you visited? in a general aviation aircraft. Um, and, and that got me to thinking, um, I, I, for years long, oh, all of them, all of them, Jack. Well, yeah, right. Have you, I don't know. <laughs> um, um, once, no, no, I don't know if that's a weird connection joke there. Um, yeah. so, uh, 
for years I used to keep, even before I started flying, I used to keep track of how many states I have visited by car. Um, and, uh, um, and I haven't got them all, but, um, it, it actually turns into a thing because different people, it turns out lots of people keep track of this, how many states have they visited, but everybody has a different criteria for what allows you to count a state. All right. You know, it's like some people changing can, planes. Yeah. Right. Some people can just does drive that, through on the count? interstate, you know, and I, for my rule was, has always been that you have to spend the night in the state to, to count it. You know, you have to, you know, typically uh. means sleep. You have to spend a night. All right. That's when you get to count a state. You don't just get to drive through or change airplanes or anything like that. Um, but how many, how many of the, uh, you know, the 50 U.S. states have you been in a GA airplane that made a landing? I guess, you know, for starters. And, uh, and I was kind of thinking about this. And I've got a fair number, but I don't have all of them for, for, by any means. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have all of them either. I do have um, two that a lot of pilots don't have. Um, which are? Uh, Hawaii and Alaska. I was wondering about that. Yeah, Hawaii is the tricky one, I would imagine. But uh, Hawaii is, is, is more more uh i don't know I, I, how tricky it is but uh uh definitely some logistics involved well i mean what's logistics you just got to go and find an instructor and get some dual right i mean that's basically what no, it's... take your take your logbook with you yeah take your certificates with you obviously yeah uh you got to find someone who's you got to have the time you got to go get basically a checkout from scratch unless you're you know an open airplane or something right um, and that's going to basically involve if the instructor or the organization is any good, that's going to basically involve a, a flight review mm-hmm. and, uh, a minimum, some minimum number of landings, um, to at least make the 90 day, um, um, thing, my 90 day requirement. Um, you got to be qualified in the airplane generally, I'm, you know, um, high performance, complex checks, yeah, right. things but like that. The, um, these are more or less the usual things that you have to the check check boxes you yeah. have to complete yeah. in order to rent an airplane at a new place. It would sure. seem to me that sure. Hawaii would be different in that the, the land masses are so small, and you're almost inevitably going to be crossing long stretches of water because you're going to probably want to go from island to island. And I would mm-hmm. imagine that that's a different kind of training thing, and they might have different criteria and stricter sure. standards. And that's why I thought Hawaii would be different. I don't know. Yeah, well, well, all, same, all same the above. Kind of stuff, same kind of stuff you go through if you're going to visit the Bahamas or Cayman mm-hmm. Islands or okay. something like that no, from yeah, South that's, Florida. That's a very good point. Yeah, okay. All right. You know, personal flotation device, uh, life raft, uh, ditching training, uh, and... Probably the best argument for retractable gear airplane ever is it's flying over water. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's yeah because ditching is much better with no wheels hanging down there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, much. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the results of the uh, is it it's it it is AOPA I believe right. Smart, it is AOPA. Smart brief is AOPA. Um, the, yeah. the, they, they only provided three categories, three, three answers to, the, to their survey was, how many U.S. states have you visited via general aviation aircraft? And they gave you three choices, one to 10 states, 11 to 25 states, or 26 to 50 states. And the results are almost, ex- almost exactly even third, third, third. So there's really nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing mm-hmm. really to learn. Well, I suppose it's interesting to learn that so many people have visited lots of states. I guess maybe that's interesting. You know, you, you, you might have expected that, that that the number of people who visited lots of states would be relatively low, but it wasn't. Lots of people have visited lots of states. So, I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. 
these data aren't that surprising. You could maybe do a distribution analysis or something and find out that it's pretty evident that uh, given the the uh, breakdown in in the three segments um, allowed here, that it would be it would be fairly equal equal across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not a statistician. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any particular state that you visited that was particularly memorable? I know which one was is for me. I mean, and you know, I, this one just always. I visited lots of memorable states. Of course, going to Oshkosh and Sun and Fun is always fun. I we stopped in Montana. We stopped at Kalispell, Montana, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the way home from. We took, we were taking the scenic route home from Oshkosh one year, and uh, going to Seattle, and flying over the mountains up there. Um, is spectacular. I mean, even as mountains yeah. go, this is spectacular. Those those mountains, those glacier hills up there, are are just crazy beautiful and and stark and and sharp spires and it's just pretty amazing. And then and then suddenly a valley opens up and you 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 know glide down in and land on a runway down there, and uh, spectacular country, really really beautiful part of the country. Um, and uh, yeah, Montana would be is one that always has stuck out in my mind. Any particular states you guys have landed in that, that jump out at you? I've not, you've got one on me. I've not landed in Montana that I recall. Um, but it's certainly something I'd like to do. Um, I've basically covered all the states except that upper Northwest, upper Midwest. Yeah. I really, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. For me, it's the Southwest that I've, I'm weak on. I haven't been down into the yeah. New Mexico's and, and Arizona's and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, David, what's they're fun. I mean, they have similar. You know, I won't say similar. They have hills and yeah. and and features that are cool to look at from the air. But uh, uh, I'm sure you know, just different as opposed to being better or worse mm-hmm. than Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. David, any particular state that uh, that you remember fondly landing in? Uh, Wyoming. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of places I've flown into in Wyoming, Idaho. Uh, some really spectacular scenery there. Uh, Colorado, uh, ditto for that. Uh, getting to Nevada and landing <laughs> in Vegas uh, at night, no less. Uh, just a, a spectacular sight coming in from the east, coming in over the mountains, and then boom, there's this big valley with Las Vegas and all of the lights and yeah, you're like, you ask the tower to turn down the runway lighting. You know, you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, going into Mobile at night once and being perturbed that the runway, the far end of the runway just disappeared into a black hole, which turned out to be Mobile Bay. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the controller is saying, whatever you do, don't land long. Uh, that was memorable. Flying into New Orleans the first time uh, yeah. at night. That That's uh, on just, the lakefront there? Well, it, we did a little cruise around the the, uh, the, the city proper uh, and along the river a little bit before we staged to go into lakefront, which involved going back out over the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing the river traffic and the way the river winds down through the delta and out into the Gulf of Mexico... Uh, that we could see it all the way to the end from our altitude. Uh, every place has something to to to, to light your eyeballs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming back home to, to you know plain old Kansas one evening, uh, 
Oh, Chimini. I guess it was uh, probably 97, I'm going to say, where the farmers were burning off the wheat stubble. Uh, This is coming home from uh, Sun and Fun. So we've got these miles-long fires on the ground. To the north, 100 miles away, was a level 5 storm and all the lightning that it was giving off had a full moon on the nose and a comet <laughs> just really? to the right of the, of the moon. Uh-huh. And all uh-huh. that, we turned all the lights inside the airplane off and <laughs> just were in awe of what we were uh, what we were treated to. Nice. And the only pity was there was really no way to get a photograph that would do it justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons why I like night flying uh, so much, uh, a, a trip to Washington where out of the 1,100 miles, 700 of it was over snow-covered landscape on a cloudless night with a full moon. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. made everything just pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just did a quick count, and I'm right on the cusp of 25 to 26. Cool. Oh. Nice. Nice. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. What's next here? Um, I was going to jump to shout-outs, unless there's one of these other items you don't want to skip. Just give it a quick look and tell me if there's anything you don't want to skip before shout-outs. I'd like to show get these people into this uh, stupid pilot trick link that I put in there. Yeah. Let's see what this is. Yeah, I was just looking at this, David. This is a... Uh, where am I finding here? Yeah, this is... So this is a paraglider attached to this uh, off-roadish vehicle. This is a real, real. This is not something they've yeah, lashed together, right? This is a real aircraft that you can buy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. So tell us and, what, what uh, happens in this video, David. Well, in the video, what we see is the uh, pilot uh, start his takeoff roll based on the ground drive system and doesn't start the propeller until after he's rolling down the road and just before he gets uh, enough airspeed to take off. But apparently he doesn't give it enough power because at about the 20, or about the 32nd, 32nd mark of a 35-second video, he flies it into the side of a building. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, yeah. very disturbing thing. Yeah. never gets a really good rate of climb. And the uh, to me, the whole thing is a lesson on you've got to know your aircraft limitations. And obviously, drive wheels aren't going to get you flying for very long. And if he'd have started out with the propeller turning, I, I expect that he probably would have had a climb rate that cleared that building. Well, okay. But he's diverting power from the propeller to the ground drive system. So the propeller never gets it up to an airspeed. It gives it a solid rate of climb, and and he flies it right into the side of this building. Yeah, I think he thought he was just barely going to make it, but he didn't. It's like, yeah. Um, and it looked pretty dire. I hope the guy was okay. Um, but, 
or, or yeah, it looked pretty serious. Yeah, it it, it looked pretty nasty. Um, but yeah, I I did notice that David that the yeah the prop didn't start spinning until after the ground roll had begun, and that struck me as odd. I I do, do we know for a fact that that's not the procedure? That's is that the way they do these air, these aircraft? Well, the, di- the the demos that I've seen at uh, at uh, Oshkosh and Center front of these type of vehicles is that the, if you're driving, you use the drive train that powers the wheels. Yeah. If you're flying, you don't. Because the engine only makes so much power, and if you're taking power away from the prop to drive the wheels, your prop's not going to get enough power to give you the thrust to climb. I don't think you're supposed to be able to do it both ways, but somehow or another, this guy did. Yeah. Well, no, I, he didn't. I, I, yeah. Yeah, well, he, he, he tried to. I, I kind of wonder if maybe there's, uh, you know, some way to I, I, now that I think about it there's got to be a way to split the power between the wheels and, and the propeller and maybe that system wasn't fully uh, engaged to put all power to the propeller I don't mm-hmm. know yeah you could be right yeah. uh, whatever it was he wasn't getting enough power to the prop to produce a positive rate of climb once he got to oh, looks maybe like maybe 30 feet yeah yeah he was just and then and then never deviated, hit it. Like Jack said, I think he expected he was going to climb above it, but at, at 150, 200 yards out, and the fact that the building is not getting smaller should be a clue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. It it's, was always, it's always been one of the things I look for. <laughs> yeah. You know, that whole pull back, buildings get smaller, push yeah. down, buildings get bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so See, that's, you know, that's, that's starting to get closer to me. Maybe I should do something to avoid that. Yeah, like turn, turn, <laughs> climb. Oh, okay, a, a good hard right turn, and he would have missed that. Oh yeah, you know, not he even might not a have good, missed light poles downstream. You know, from it, yeah, not even a hard right turn, just a right turn. Yeah, yeah. okay, but you guys earlier, are, earlier on would have would have fixed a lot of this. You guys are the but, first ones to say, "Don't second guess these folks." You know, you don't exactly know what was going on there, and there might have been something else. And uh, for all we know, he had a control failure and he couldn't turn. Yeah, you know, I don't know. That's, would a would a would a turn to the right early on have fixed this problem, Jack? I, it it might have, yeah. but we don't know why he didn't do that. He might have had a good reason to not choose to do that. I, well, there might have been some control issues. I, I agree, but well, if the aircraft had turned right. Early on in its flight, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I, I agree completely. I, I agree with that. Yes. So, so the, okay. the the lesson here is check everything twice. Know what your aircraft systems, are, the, how they're supposed to operate, and try no, not to no, try not no. to hit a building on takeoff. Yeah, y'all are getting the y'all are getting the wrong lesson from this. <laughs> What's that? The correct. The correct. The correct lesson is never let anybody take video of you. Of you taking off? <laughs> so, well, just, clearly, you know, what, what, is, what is wrong with you guys? Clearly, you violated that rule too. So, anyways, um, well, all of the above is true. That, yeah. that only just makes me more correct. Yeah, okay. Um, I can testify to the fact that I have still photographs of Jeb not only taking off but landing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, right. that's frightening. All right. Can I do shout outs now? Yes. Shout outs. <laughs> shout outs. I have two shout outs. One is an administrative thing and one is a shout out shout out. I'm, I'm going to do mine while you guys are collecting your thoughts here. All right. So 
Um, so my administrative thing is to point out to listeners um, that we've, we've in the last three or four episodes uh, we've made a, a we're trying something out and and I want to make sure people know of it in the event they're able to take advantage of it. And that is that we are now adding what are known as MP3 chapters to the podcast um, audio file. So if you are listening to the podcast with a device that or a piece of software that is able to recognize MP3 chapters, then you can, uh, it, it basically is a table of contents. Um, it'll give you the sort of general highlights and sections of each episode, and then you can jump around. You could jump into a story that is particularly interesting or jump back and listen again or however, or, or jump to the closing because you just can't stand it any longer. But um, MP3 chapters are now uh, uh, being implemented. And, uh, and we'll do them for a while until they either you know, turn out not to be interesting or, or, or whatever. But uh, uh, it's an interesting addition. I, I listen to a couple of other podcasts that use this technology, and I thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, we're doing it right now. It's been the last two or three episodes. Um, I can't give you a definitive list of what pieces of software um, take advantage of MP3 chapters. The one that I use on on my iOS devices is something called Overcast, which is very very popular um, in that world. Um, and uh, I'm going to endeavor to put together a list of podcast playing apps that that will um, will uh, take advantage of MP3 chapters um, and post it someplace. Uh, listeners, if you could help me, um, especially listeners who are not in the iOS world, uh, let me know what 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 um, podcast players you use and whether or not they uh, support mp3 chapters and we'll put together a list um i think it's cool um not only does it give you links that you can jump into the episode um we're not using it just yet but you can actually have artwork too there can be um there can be slides that that illustrate the individual sections which is kind of an interesting idea too so mp3 chapters are now in uncontrolled airspace podcast the other uh, true shout out I have here is uh, is a bittersweet kind of thing, um, and that is to uh, uh, a shout out to our friends down in Australia and the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Um, Grant and Steve and that whole gang have been doing an aviation podcast, not unlike what we do here, but focused obviously on on Australia aviation, um, and they've been doing it since 2009, very nearly as long as we have, um, and they have decided that the time has come to conclude their effort, um, and so rather than fade away. Um, um, they are in the process of putting together sort of a big finish, I guess, um, a final episode or two, and uh, are going to conclude producing the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Personal, and, and so I just want to wish them well. Um, they, they're they yeah, they're, they're great guys. We've met them a couple of different times when they've been up here in the States. Sadly, I've never gone down there to visit them, and, and it's that's still a possibility. But uh, um, it, it's it's been a great podcast. I, I'm totally sympathetic, though, to uh, the challenges of doing a podcast on a regular basis, and that they decided to go in a different direction is totally um, fine. And uh, so thank yeah. you to uh, Grant and Steve and to all the gang who've been working on Plane Crazy Down Under. Um, wish them well, and uh, you know, um, hopefully we'll see you at Oshkosh or Sun and Fun um, as time goes on. Um, I don't know if you guys we'll want to add there. anything to that, but uh, what's that? I said we'll be there. They did a nice job. Uh, yeah. A couple of the guys, uh, great enthusiasm for what they were doing. I'm yeah. sorry to see them go. Yeah. Yeah, I, all, all of the above. I enjoyed meeting them, and, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I seem to remember um, at some point um, 
sitting down and chatting and alcohol beverages might have been involved and someone might have been recording some of it and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm shocked by any of that. Uh, but I, I do have fond memories and I wish them well and uh, thanks for their service to the community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel so old. <laughs> They're dropping you around. see how us. you look. Yeah, I know. They're dropping Ooh. around. Us. Uh, what else? What, what, what shout- we'll drive in. <laughs> what shout outs do you guys have? Dave, go ahead. Jeb? Um, I would just reiterate something I said earlier uh, to uh, Will Hawkins and uh, his wife, Kat. Thank you for the hospitality. Uh, great to see you all again. Great to see your, your, uh, your humble abode. Um, and uh, again, just thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. David, shout outs. Yeah, I want to uh, give a shout out to uh, our our long running uh, friends at uh, NASA's Aviation Safety Reporting System and their monthly newsletter Callback. Uh, and I'd point out in particular the January issue. That's issue four fifty six. That's how long they've been doing this. Uh, they they. It's titled it Awareness and Actions a la Mode, and they're not talking about ice cream on your pie. They're talking about the different modes of operations that our aircraft all have, which, you know, uh, as much as we love glass panels and, and uh, digital instrumentation, uh, their existence has introduced a whole lot of different failure modes and, and, and issues than our simple analog six-pack stuff uh, prepared us for. So this uh, issue focuses on knowing and understanding the different modes of your cockpits and how not doing that can lead to uh, some challenging flights. Most of this is airline-oriented, but as more and more of our GA airplanes get uh, class cockpits, it's equally applicable to guys flying behind Garmin and uh, uh, Abidine and the experimental stuff from MGL and Grand Rapids and Garmin uh, because some of these really lovely panels can be rendered inoperable and unreliable simply by the loss of a GPS signal because the configuration of that particular primary flight display requires the GPS to help measure roll rate it doesn't have sensors to do all three axes directly, so it uses GPS for roll rate. If you lose GPS, you lose your uh, attitude information. So knowing how that stuff works, diving deep into the, uh, into the manual, uh, read some of these examples here, and it'll be an eye-opener for you. Highly recommended. You do know the three levels of understanding cockpit automation. <laughs> what are they? Do tell. I was wondering if it, I was wondering if he was going to respond to that. Um, well, the first level is, hey, now what's it doing? <laughs> the second level is, yeah, it does that. The <laughs> third, the third level is, wow, I didn't know it did that. <laughs> yeah. That's the fourth yeah, okay. level is, why is it doing something I don't understand? <laughs> yeah, well. I've worked my entire adult life in the computer industry, so welcome to my world. Um, 
Well, there's that too. Yeah, there is that too. And uh, hey, one other quick shout out before, uh, not exactly a shout out, but David alerted to something that makes me realize we should probably start talking about this. And that is that uh, Uncontrolled Airspace is going to be at Sun and Fun um, in a little over a month from now, I guess. And uh, as we have for uh, 10 or 11 years now, um, we are going to be there uh, hanging out and helping out at the uh, uh, Sun and Fun radio station with our good friend Dave Schalbetter. Um, we are going to be doing two uh, full, full-length full episodes from the deck, uh, one on Tuesday. Oh, here it comes. Here comes the train. <laughs> Some oh people think... Some people think that that would be a negative, that that would be a minus to stay in here. I is one of my favorite parts of being here, right? Other than there being a bar in the backyard. But next to the bar in the backyard is, I just love the train. The train, uh, uh, Will and Cat's property here literally backs up to the railroad right away, the main um, uh, commuter train and occasional freight train um, right away that goes down the middle of the peninsula here in uh, the Bay Area. And uh, many times throughout the day and night, uh, trains like that go by. And I, I love it. I think it's great. Anyways, uh, I was talking about something, and now I've forgotten what it was. Ah, oh, Sun and Fun. We're going to Sun, sun and Fun. fun. Um, we're going to do a full-blown episodes, uh, as we have for some years now, um, on uh, Tuesday afternoon. That's the opening day of Sun and Fun. Uh, that will begin uh, pr- pretty much promptly after the daily air show ends. Um, so that And that time can vary from year to year, depending on scheduling and, and also how the air show went that day. But whenever the air show ends is when we will begin. Um, and then we'll also be doing an episode on Sunday morning, closing day, um, probably around 11 o'clock, 10.30, something like that. Um, stay tuned to the uh, our website for the details on that. Um, you can come over to the Sun and Fun Radio and, and hang out and come up on the deck and, and, and listen there. Uh, it's also live streamed on the Internet, and it's broadcast on Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, radio station um, throughout the week. So, And we're also going to be doing our dailies. We'll be doing at least one, probably, uh, UCAP daily uh, each day during the, uh, during the, the week of, the, of Sun and Fun. So, uh, and I'll be, the, uh, I'll, I'll be the 9 to 11 that's on right. the deck radio host. And, and David, is, David is beginning his, his own little solo career here. He's, he's spun out and is, uh, has become a radio personality on Sun and Fun Radio every morning. You mean, you mean spun off. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Spun around. <laughs> I've, I've been known to spin out too. But... So we're going to be at Sun and Fun. Uh, it's going to be hard. To spin. Yes. Yeah. And in case you don't know, uh, Sun and Fun is April 10 to 15. There you go. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It always. And I, I'd really like to be there for most, if not all, of that. But I'm not sh- at all sure I'm going to be able to participate at all. Yeah, I know. It's it's. A, I, just, I, I, just, I'm aware of your schedule. It sucks, but I yeah yeah yeah. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Sadly, I'm going to be in a similar situation for Oshkosh, but that's a story for later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, allotted time. We've reached it. Um, and uh, I want to thank thank you guys for getting together this morning. This, this is the definition of allotted time. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Anything fun? I've been working on uh, getting over the flu. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, you alluded to life being complicated in the recent. Yeah, okay. You, you're feeling better, I hope. I am feeling a lot better than I was a week or so ago, yes. But that doesn't really say much. Uh, yuck. Yike. Well, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, but I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. I'm glad you're feeling better. It is what it is. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, where can people find out about your flu and other things in your life on the Internet? Oh, 
<laughs> I don't know. That's what I usually um, say, so I figured I'd say it this time. I don't know. Yeah, the flu isn't really uh, all that discoverable uh, on the internet, but uh, you could uh, find me, uh, gosh, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Mm-hmm. You could find me, uh, there's some stuff around AvWeb. There's some stuff on generalaviationnews.com. There's some stuff on AINonline.com. And there's some stuff at AEA.net for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, you are? Burnside J. There you are. There you are. Thank you. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, I'm working on this week's business aviation blog for Av Buyer, which will be posted Thursday night slash Friday morning. So giving you a heads up, uh, what I'm talking about this week is the uh, personnel uh, shortage that's developing in aviation in general. And this came up in a uh, a couple of conversations and some uh, information I got about how mechanics, maintenance technicians, are leaving aviation faster than they're being replaced. This is largely people retiring, getting to the end of their career, and we're not replacing them uh, as fast as they're going away. And we've had this problem with the pilot population. We've had this problem with the avionics techs population. Uh, And uh, I bring it up because, A, it's a problem that's going to do us in if we don't reverse course uh, as a as a community find a way to reverse course b uh for people looking for a good paying career with long-term potential uh becoming a pilot becoming a maintenance technician avionics tech uh those are all growth industries looking ahead by everybody's forecast so the bodies are going to be needed the expertise is going to be needed wouldn't be a bad way to uh, make a living in aviation. Cool. Find, find a niche and, and uh, no one else is, is filling and jump on it. Yeah. There yeah. you go. And so where can people find that on the Internet and other things that you're doing, David? Uh, the AvBuyer weekly blogs are under the uh, writers on AvBuyer.com. You can find me in Avionics News. I have... Uh, two stories in the current issue. That's AEA.net, like Jeb is. Uh, I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and otherwise, uh, Google search, and remember, I don't play golf, and I'm not a physics expert. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I, because I keep, I keep forgetting that you're not a physics expert. <laughs> yeah, you seem so much like a scientist. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, I've be, I'm, I'm on the, in the tail end. I'm in the closing days of this this year's escape from winter. Um, I, uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, I uh, return to Florida for a couple more days visiting uh, Jeb and then uh, go off to a job in Orlando. <clears throat> Um, and then, uh, and then finally home um, after being away for almost two months this year. But uh, I've just been—you know, you talk about things I've been working on. This isn't aviation necessarily, but uh, I, while I was here in California, I did—I got a, a sort of unexpected gig, working nine to five in Silicon Valley. I just basically had a real 
tech job in Silicon Valley, which is I had one of those 20 plus years ago, and uh, and it really was an interesting experience to be kind of immersed, if only for two weeks, um, in the nine to five Silicon Valley thing. It's a it's it's a different lifestyle. I'm telling you, man, it's crazy out here. It's crazy out here. You know, I I where I live in New England, where I live in New England, if I see one or two Teslas a month, that's remarkable, okay? Out yeah, here, yeah. you see 10 or 12 a day, all right? You'll see three of them parked next to each other, you know? I mean, it's like these Teslas, you talk about modern technology and flying cars and whatnot, and Teslas aren't flying cars, but um, they've been embraced here. It's a Silicon Valley. It's a different kind of lifestyle, and it snowed here this morning. Yeah. Not not here in the valley, but up in the hills. Anyways, that's what I've been working on, and uh, getting ready to head back to uh, Hidden River for a couple more days, and uh, and then uh, Orlando, and then finally home. So, anyways, uh, I've completely lost my place in my little script here. I think that's everything I wanted to say. David, was there something you were, oh, you know, where can you find me? On YouTube, I'm Jeff. That's what it is. Someone didn't ask me, where can you find, where can we find you on the internet, Is, it, is, is that all the disclaimer stuff? Yeah, I mean, wasn't right. there some other stuff? Yeah, no, no, no. We don't do that anymore. We do that separately. This is, the, oh, this is our whole new I thing. Li- yeah, we do this differently li- now. But we, do, we, still do, we still do do the part where I tell people can find me on the internet. Um, on YouTube, my YouTube videos are, are at uh, youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. On, on Amazon, you can search for my books. Just search for Around the Field in the books section of Amazon. On Twitter, I am uh, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. And you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you really ever wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. And that's it. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Enjoy life, live long by flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And this is an open-ended special. <laughs> That's enough talking. Let's go flying. 20% off for a limited time. 